Hello and welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Welcome to Cloud Insiders. Today's episode is around cloud data management and we're joined by Rubric. Today we have two Chris's, um, so hopefully it won't get too confusing, but I'll let them introduce themselves. So Chris from Extrovert, if you can start first. Hi, yeah. so my name is Chris Lewis. I'm the consultant at Extrovert and working within the cloud management and data center virtualization practice. Thank you. And Chris from Rubrik, if you could introduce yourself, please. Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Chris Wall, the chief technologist at Rubrik. I've uh, been there for about two years now. Other than that, I, I blog at wallnetwork.com. I run a podcast called Data Knots. So that's me in a nutshell. Excellent. Thank you. So I guess the first question is, what is cloud data management? I have no idea. Where did you come up with that term? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to keep it a little cheeky. Um, realistically, it's a way to encapsulate a lot of different use cases around backup, recovery, archive, copy data management, et cetera, but with a little bit of meat to it. So it's the idea that, hey, we have to backup and restore workloads across private, hybrid, public, whatever type of clouds, and then manage that data beyond that for different use cases beyond just recovering. So it's a bit of a loaded term, but it's, it's meant to kind of encapsulate a bunch of different use cases that ultimately drive the ingest and protection of data, the management of that data, and then doing interesting things such as restores, making clones, you know, building cloud workloads, et cetera, with that data. Okay, so, so data management now isn't just about backup and disaster recovery. It covers a lot more areas and, and our business is now looking at different ways of protecting that data and using that data. Yeah, because, I mean, data realistically is just ammunition that that is fueling the application tiers uh, within the business. So we're really attacking more of that application layer and using data as the way to, you know, we, we grab that data and then we can do interesting things with it for the applications that need it. So I think that's the that's really what the business is looking to, to do is provide availability for their applications and put it in various clouds and things like that, not just shove it off into a tape and then hope that years later it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, typically it's not. So. <laughs> I think it's important that cloud data management doesn't necessarily mean it's managed from the cloud. It's talking about managing data within a, as Chris said, a, a private hybrid and public cloud space. So it's not necessarily managed from a public cloud or an off-premise cloud. It's just the management of data in that hybrid cloud. True. There's absolutely zero requirement for public cloud within the topology or the, the architecture, I guess you could say. Uh, because a lot of folks, especially if there's certain security or compliance requirements, don't use public cloud. It's all on-prem in their private cloud. So there's lots of different kinds of cloud. <laughs> I think it's just a, a simple, secure, controlled, manageable fashion, managing customers' data and trying to uh, sort of reduce their total cost of ownership. Yeah, that brings me on to the next question. So see, rubric is, is cloud data management. How is that different from traditional data management? Is it just a, a change in sort of terminology or is, is, is the actual stuff behind it different? I'd like to think that we coined the term, uh, you know, supposedly we did and, and sat in a war room and came up with it because we needed a way to, to address exactly what you're talking about. The data management methodologies were ultimately go out and shop, you know, two, three, four, five vendors, put in your own architecture for proxies and servers and a database to manage the index and you know, put the hardware in for storage, put the tape infrastructure in, and you had to, you had to kind of do that. It's like, you know, making artisanal cheese, you know, handcrafted, uh, a lot of sweat labor. And then ultimately what you had was just kind of a holding pit where data was placed. Uh, the recovery portion was quite complex and cloud architectures were really just a bolt-on feature. REST APIs were a bolt-on feature, et cetera. With cloud data management, REST APIs are a first-class citizen. 
Everything's kind of driven through that model. Uh, there's no need to actually build out the architecture by hand. You're just doing it all in software. The software's very intelligent, et cetera. I mean, we could dive into the nerd knobs and the tech around that, but realistically, it's taking something that required a lot of specialization and a lot of human effort with your, with your hands and your heart uh, to build versus just deploy some software, stick it in there, and actually provide value from within an hour. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's rubrics based on a cloud-style architecture where you scale out rather than um, having to have this handcrafted vendor lock-in style solution. And with Rubrik, it's just uh, you scale out the amount of hardware you need based on your requirement. And it's all done in one four-node brick. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So obviously you mentioned going into the nuts and bolts about it. Um, I think it's probably worth doing so. Obviously you mentioned REST APIs and automation. I know Chris Lewis is sort of an automation guy, so it'd be interesting to see what is being automated in terms of backups now and how organizations are benefiting from that sort of automation and what they're doing differently with the data. Sure. There's a couple different ways you can think about it. I mean, just giving you the, the brass tacks, how it works, you know, essentially it's a, a stack of software that's very modular and uses REST APIs to communicate with one another uh, that's built on a, a node-based system. It shares nothing, it scales out, et cetera. Each node provides performance and capacity. Uh, and there's no, there's no single point of failure within the system. So the way that it works is that you point it at whatever you're trying to protect, uh, such as a vCenter server where we talk to the APIs or a physical piece of kit, et cetera. And then that becomes kind of a logical object within the system uh, so that you can see the hierarchy of folders and data centers and virtual machines and SQL servers and whatever it may be. And then everything else is built on a policy engine. So rather than crafting jobs and having to, as an architect, kind of look at your ecosystem of applications, you got uh, these production servers and I need to back them up in this specific order. And I need to make sure not to back up these two specific servers because on the same data store and that would be bad, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You just point to it and say, well, I have this policy Let's call it the gold policy. I want to make sure that I have a backup taken at least every four hours, and I want to keep it for a year or something like that. And then you associate policy to the object, which may be the virtual machine or the folder or the data center or the database within a server, et cetera. And then the architecture of the scale-out fabric then figures out, okay, what's the best way to do this? How are things located within the architecture so that I don't accidentally cause an IO issue or, or something in production that's harmful? And then it begins taking backups. So that's kind of the, the first layer of automation. Uh, and the system is intelligent enough to realize that there's changes to your architecture, such as introducing new virtual machines or removing them or something like that, that'll automatically apply policy if desired, uh, which is kind of the other piece of automation. And then taking that further, because the entire system from ground up is built on RESTful APIs, they're native to the system and they're available to us as a company so that we can consume them you know, to provide the graphical interface and things like that, as well as to you as the customer, because you know, APIs are the cloud. You don't, there's no command line interface for you know, Amazon necessarily. Uh, you could then start driving more interesting use cases such as okay, when I have a backup taken of this production system, maybe it's a database server, you can then query rubric the next day and say, take a clone of the last snapshot of backup, instantiate that into a brand new virtual machine, uh, put it in a different network, go ahead and do a sandbox test against it, maybe grab the data and put it somewhere else. And these are all API calls, meaning you can stuff them into Realize Orchestrator or Puppet or Chef or really anything talks API, which is the great matter of it. You know, there's no there's no specific language or technology you have to do, which I love because I hated having to work within a vendor's specific orchestration engine. That's the ultimate lock-in because then you have to learn their domain-specific language, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of the, <laughs> the elevator pitch of uh, automation throughout the system. 
I think what really stands out for me about the rubric solution is is this policy-driven backup protection and being able to take your customers' requirements around SLA and just applying that across the object and letting rubric sort out under the covers how it's going to meet that. But from a customer business perspective, you're seeing four hourly backups or X amount of months data retention and archiving and so on and so forth. And that's just, you know, at a single policy level that you can apply across everything. Because Lewis, what are you seeing in terms of this cloud data management from a consultancy point of view? It's interesting because we don't really get involved with the decisions that are around backup and data management. It's normally when I join a project, we tend to join for a particular use case. And unfortunately, that isn't necessarily around being able to influence the sort of the data management aspect. But it's definitely something that I always consider uh, when doing a piece of work. But yeah, from my point of view, it's difficult because I get into sort of like the enterprise organizations and they've already have their backup and data management strategy. And normally my solution has to fit within that. I don't have the scope to be able to say, well, actually, let's do, let's do this better. Um, because they've already got vendor locking and uh, maybe that's with EMC or Commvault or whoever they're currently using as their enterprise-wide solution. But definitely from a SMB point of view, uh, I see this as a big sort of SMB to Greenfield Enterprise seeing this as a big solution that we can definitely give to our customers. That's interesting. So in terms of things that are making customers look at these different options, so Rubrik, for example, what are the kind of trends that are driving this adoption? One of the big things for me is... Quite a lot of the time in previous roles where I've done bid and sort of the pre-sales, customers have wanted to be able to archive to the cloud. And that's always been a difficult thing to do. But with Rubrik, that's something that you can archive your you know, long-term data to an Amazon S3 bucket. So, yeah, I mean, to me, that, that's just a reduction in TCO from a from legacy hardware perspective is immense because... I've lost count of the times I've seen petabytes of archive data on sort of archaic bits of storage that are having to be propped up because they've got these petabytes of data and you can't move it and they don't want to move it uh, and they don't want to apply their, their data retention policies, even though they have them. You know, they may have 25 years worth of data, with it, but their data policy, you know, their security policy in there from a financial services sort of industry they might say, well, we've got to do 10 years, but they've got 25 years because they don't want to get rid of anything. And so that cost just goes up and up and up. And to me, removing that underlying hardware vendor cost and being able to archive to the cloud with this solution, I think, is, is a real game changer. Thanks, Chris. Um, so, Chris, well, what other trends are you seeing drive the adoption of, of this cloud data management? Chris has a good point because traditionally you're using kind of expensive file-based systems or block-based systems to retain the data. And when you move to a more disparate object-based system such as S3 or Blob or, or just an on-prem object such as a Cloudian or Scality, something like that, the economies of scale come in in a big way. And you are able to hit some, some pretty magical TCO numbers while retaining things that are deduped, compressed and searchable and available uh, for quite some time. That's certainly a piece of it. The other part is just the realization that as we're trying to build out cloud-like methodologies within the data center, you know, rather than building things by hand and having all of the kind of imperative systems where you as an engineer are physically putting something together and then recording how you put it together, et cetera, 
as we move towards building private clouds where things are kind of X as a service, you know, infrastructure platform, et cetera, as a service, we're using infrastructure as code. We're actually trying to make things, uh, our systems wrapped within configuration management. There's a huge weakness in the market because the use of configuration management and declarative-based policies for your infrastructure just don't exist in the backup world. You know, trying to automate a system built out by Bell Labs from the 80s and 90s using today's technology is like trying to ride a dinosaur. You know, it just it doesn't exist. There's no way to do it. So being able to consume the product programmatically, being able to put it into the environment for on-prem and knowing that as you make that journey into hybrid or public cloud is very, I guess, sexy for a customer because it's it has a lot of C-level attention as well as the architects that are working to build these cloud-like services and to deliver things in kind of a service catalog format are very attractive to that model. So I think those are a couple of big trends that are that are very attractive for the operational folks that are doing the infrastructure. I guess from a cloud architecture point of view, as Chris says, it just works. So you haven't got to worry about whether this backup system is going to integrate with this archive system or the storage because it's all done in one device. I wouldn't say easy, but simple to design for, simple to, to implement. Anything that can be simple for our customers and simple for us to do means that the customer gets the best of both worlds. So obviously you just mentioned it's simple there. Does that mean people are now getting smarter with that data as well? I know earlier on, um, Chris, you mentioned sort of the whole use case of copy data management. Are, are development teams now getting involved with this whole backup and data management sort of thing? Yeah, more than they ever have ever. I've never really seen such a huge involvement from non-storage and backup engineers. So in, in a lot of cases, the cloud team or the development team is a primary stakeholder in the system uh, because they're they're working with ephemeral workloads, they're working with pre-production workloads, and what they're trying to do is tap into all of that treasure trove of data that's been backed up. It's just sitting there, typically in a tape or something like that, which means it's not available. But we can tell them, hey, you know what, we've taken a back of all of this data and the system is built in such a way that, that the rubric appliance and, the, and the, the bricks and the nodes that construct the bricks can be turned into storage to present flown workloads. So you can take a backup for production and then we can actually be a storage platform to spin up a copy of that production workload running on our system with performance. You know, it's actually a very interesting file system sitting underneath the covers where you can get tens of thousands of IO to run these workloads so that in the morning they can have a brand new fresh set of, of workloads running and ready to go. They can hammer against those workloads. It doesn't impact the production storage array at all. And once they're done, they can throw it away or they can keep using it. They can actually move it back into production if they would like, et cetera. So it's very attractive. And it's something that there was a huge kind of pent up demand. They wanted something like this. And it's really, they couldn't find what they wanted. They had to kind of, again, back to my cheese example, kind of build their own system or find very specialized software and then find their own hardware to melt it together. Whereas this system was designed out of the box for that particular use case. Yeah, I mean, what I found really interesting in, in the demos that I've seen is this sandboxing of uh, being able to test a patch or an operating system upgrade or you know an application upgrade uh, in isolation by cloning the virtual machine, presenting it with, uh, as Chris said earlier, with different network on the rubric appliance that you can then just test your upgrade and then destroy the, uh, that clone and, and, and have some confidence that your production upgrade is going to work. So what else is Rupert doing in terms of cloud data management? Did you mention AWS and Azure earlier on? Yeah, so out of the box, we've supported um, Amazon S3 or anything that talks S3 as an archive target. And then as we progressed the product, we added the blob store 
options from Microsoft Azure. So those are totally valid and, and quite attractive options for the archive environments for customers and their you know, data is encrypted in flight at rest, it's deduped, it's compressed. So you can get some, some very attractive numbers out of that. But beyond that, we actually started offering uh, more recently the ability to build rubric clusters in those two clouds, uh, being Azure and AWS, so that if you want to either protect things that are in the cloud directly within the cloud itself, uh, you can stand up a four-node cluster that's totally built out of software running on EC2 or using um, uh, Microsoft virtual machines in their cloud. And it's it's the same software, it's the same experience, so there's not much going on there from a complexity perspective. Uh, you can then replicate between the cloud and on-prem, or potentially take backups in the cloud and then have the offering to recover them on-prem. So it kind of gives you a backwards workflow as well. Uh, so those are some of the advances that we've made more recently, and uh, we have a much more coming down the pipeline that will uh, uh, be even cloudier, we'll say, <laughs> for those that are looking to uh, consume those two projects. Could you use it to scale out to the cloud. Absolutely. So there's a use case where you're looking to replicate or potentially have a bi-directional replication where you're scaling out, in essence, uh, the two different clusters, but you're kind of holding that data where you have local policies and remote policies and you're using unidirectional or bi-directional replication uh, between the two. Excellent. So if I was an organization and I wanted to move to this cloud data management, what do I need to consider? What common pitfalls have you seen and how do I make that journey easy? It's, it's intrinsically pretty easy. I mean, it's typically just the, the silly layer one things that you have to consider around making sure you have proper networking and plumbing like that in the, uh, in the environment. You might have some political challenges just because this is a, a different way of thinking about providing data protection. Like I said, rather than building out a job and saying, all right, every night at 2 a.m. I'm going to back up this first workload and at 2.30 I'm going to back up the second workload, you could potentially just tell the system, hey, here's my requirements at the SLA level literally feed in the business requirements into it and let it go. And it'll just figure out the best way to do that. It's backing up production and it's going to do its best to never harm production. You know, we're looking at IO characteristics, we're looking at latency, we're looking at CPU, et cetera, to make sure there's no clobbering. That requires a little bit of a, a brain shift. You know, it's, 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 it's something you have to kind of absorb and, and kind of marinate a little bit before it clicks. Those are pretty much the more common uh, concerns you know maybe you really love tape and you you go to bed at night and you have a little tape drive in your in your arm with a you know like a teddy bear <laughs> um, then, then you might have some challenges too but being a little cheeky again there's not a huge amount of considerations you know obviously you want to make sure that what we provide as a company uh, meets your requirements you know today we're doing various physical and virtual environments and if we don't have what you need don't don't waste your time on that but uh, for the most part it's not a huge jump and once people see the demo which the system's almost almost kind of boring to demo. It takes maybe five or 10 minutes because the complexity is all abstracted away. It's just build a policy, assign it, and then recover data as needed. People tend to fall in love with it because uh, it is so attractive from a, a user perspective. From my point of view, I think Chris is right that customers need to, if they're going towards a cloud-style architecture, then their backup solution needs to embrace that too. And they need to remember that in a cloud world, there is no backup window that's from 6 p.m. to you know 11 p.m. or, or whatever it's because your um, services are available 24 by 7 the backup solution needs to work out when it's best to do backups as long as you meet that policy or hourly window or whatever then you know the, the system needs to be intelligent enough to be able to guarantee those backups but the other thing for me and uh, harping on about what I talked about earlier is 
being confident enough to apply your business level data policies. Now, you can understand from a financial perspective and government perspective, maybe that you know there is a reason to archive data for forever. But if you have a 10-year data policy or a five-year data policy, you only need to keep that data in archive for that sort of length of time. Is making sure you apply that because whether it be cloud storage or on-premise storage, the price will go up on how much you're going to use. So you need to be confident enough to say, actually, apply that data policy and make sure we don't proliferate the problem around cost. Because one thing that is constant in the cloud is the cost of storage. You know, your compute power may go up and down based on whether you turn the machine on and off, but there is normally a flat rate for storage. Yeah, it's a good point of view. I know you touched on financial and cost there, but obviously with the whole cybersecurity issue we had a few months, a few weeks ago, so the, the WannaCry malware, what are we seeing in terms of cloud data management and how that protects organizations from sort of these ransomware outbreaks? Yeah, the, what was kind of really weird for me about that was almost a year ago to the day when, when all the WannaCry malware infections were occurring. We had written a blog article basically warning that exactly that thing was going to occur. Just because about a year ago, a bunch of hospitals throughout the US uh, had been infected and were being held ransom. And it was this outcry. And then we kind of forgot about it. And so the, the idea of ransomware has been top of mind for quite some time. We actually have a whole security team that sits at a very prominent part of the table when it comes to designing rubric. There's a couple things that we can bring to the table uh, for the customer, and that's the idea of backup has traditionally been flawed with kind of the incumbent products in that their data is exposed from a read-write perspective. So a lot of times you'll have a file server somewhere, the backup is then written to the file server in whatever proprietary format that vendor is using. And as long as the ransomware can get to that and then write against it, which is an administrator account or some kind of privileged account, it has that access. It can then encrypt the backups and basically the backup's worthless. Uh, it's even worse than potentially deleting it in some cases. With Rubrik, all of the data is mutable, which is a very fancy term for read-only. It can't be modified, can't be altered. There is no file system you can get into to start playing with the data within Rubrik. Even if we clone a workload and present it as a you know, mounted copy, that is just a you know, kind of a redirected copy of the original immutable data. So the first thing is that we provide immutability for all the data. Once it's protected, it's kind of it's locked against ransomware. The other thing is that because all of the data is always present, you know, it's not locked up in a tape drive somewhere. It's not stored somewhere that, you know, you only have index quality read access to it. You can always read all of the data. You can retrieve it at will, even if it's in the cloud or some kind of archive. It means that if you notice that this is going on and your defense in depth has failed at the first two stages, meaning the educational and kind of IPS, IDS layers of your security has failed and, and you have been affected by ransomware, you can quickly recover. That's the third set step of defense in depth is, is backup. You can recover at a granular level. You can literally say, I'm going to run this query. I'm going to find anything that's been encrypted or modified within a certain timestamp, or maybe they added a new extension to the name of the file. And then say, rubric, I want all this data, put it back in place, and you're back, right? And we've, we've got a couple of case studies where exactly that happened. I think it was tens of thousands of files were encrypted on the servers, uh, the file servers for the customer. And they just literally said, hey, rubric, here's all the data that I need back. Can you just throw it back into my file server unencrypted? And I think within an hour, you know, they had 100,000 files unencrypted back on their server. Or potentially, if they've encrypted your entire virtual machine or something like that, you could just throw that entire thing back using what we call our instant restore technology. And that typically takes, you know, somewhere between two and six seconds to bring the workload back online. 
Uh, so it's just it's one of the three major pillars in the three-legged stool that is security uh, being defense in depth. Excellent. Chris, so what are you seeing from a consultancy point of view in, in how customers are handling this sort of cybersecurity awareness that they've suddenly got? It's, it's interesting because I think um, suddenly patching has become uh, a number one priority for, for most customers. And, and it's a shame because it really should have been in the first place, making sure that operating systems are up to date and that they're secure for, in, in that respect. That should always be a, a priority. And as Chris says, you know, backup or restore should be sort of one of the last options, really. I, I think there's a renewed focus on cybersecurity, but it's a shame that it takes this sort of cyber attack or the WannaCry to focus people. Security is almost a, something that people feel gets in the way when it should be something that they work with to make sure that their platforms are secure. So just as we sort of finish up, where do you see the future for cloud data management? I think that there's no getting away from the fact that everything is moving to the cloud. That doesn't necessarily mean it's public cloud, but potentially a hybrid cloud or even, you know, a private cloud. And I can really see benefit of this rubric style data management platform analytics being able to search for a particular file on a particular VM at a particular sort of point in time, being able to do that with ease and recovering data all, all on that one appliance I, I think that is something that people should be embracing well said my perspective is is around building that fabric uh, for your cloud data management system basically the, the fabric that's underlying all of it meaning today it's it's vmware virtualization and amazon and, and microsoft azure things like that but realistically the idea is that as you embrace a cloud type architecture you know whether or not it's cloud native or cloud first or you know, whatever buzzword you want to pick today. Uh, it's really the choice of how and where you want to run your application. You know, anywhere from serverless uh, or functions as a service, which is I prefer the term, uh, where it's just basically you're executing code on someone's platform in the cloud to containers all the way down to virtual machines and bare metal. It should really be your choice. So as cloud data management matures and spreads to multi-cloud types environments. It's really supporting all those different multiple use cases and cloud type workloads, but more importantly, giving customers the ability to move or kind of float the application across those different use cases. An example being you might have on-prem workloads uh, today that you want to put into the cloud or vice versa, or even from one cloud to the next based on financial drivers, you know, technology decisions, partnerships that you have with those environments, potential lock-in concerns, et cetera. And so being able to facilitate those kinds of strategic level decisions for the customer so that you could potentially uh, move your application, change the shape and the performance and the, kind of the, the runtime of your application, it goes way beyond backup. It's definitely now we're, now we're really in the meat and the bones of uh, cloud data management. And it's what I'm looking forward to the most as we continue down this journey in the future. Thank you, guys. That's uh, good insights from both of you. Um, and it's quite an exciting topic to be following as well. Which is kind of weird, right? Backup, recovery. Yeah. <laughs> when has that ever been fun? Yeah. I was just thinking that actually, normally I, I really don't like to get involved, but having seen the rubric solution, it's like, well, actually, that, that's pretty damn cool. Definitely. That's good. So guys, just so we finish up, um, have you got any last comments you'd like to add? I guess I'll do, I'll do this. I'll promote if you're in, in the infrastructure world, you're doing operational type work and you're not looking at APIs or you're scared of them or you think they're they're creepy and hairy and things like that. Give it a look. They're, they're very simple to use. Uh, one example that I would give is on GitHub. I have a, a full module written in PowerShell, talks to APIs. Um, all the code is free and open source. Uh, so if you go to GitHub.com and you search for the rubric PowerShell module, 
Um, there's a lot of examples there that will get you started, but just don't wait because this skill set is something like 82% of companies are looking for engineers that can talk APIs between now and the next 24 months. So get on that journey today. Uh, so the GitHub is github.com uh, slash rubric inc, I-N-C. And if you look on there, you'll see a PowerShell module where all the code is exposed and have fun with code. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Okay, guys. Um, that was awesome. Thank you very much for your time. And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, cheers. No worries. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. I appreciate it. It's been nice to have you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Find out more and listen to additional episodes on Cloud Insiders FM. Follow us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders and subscribe on iTunes. See you soon.